You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. All right, no time to waste today. Please open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4. And we'll be looking at the final four or three verses in the book of Malachi. And with that, we're going to turn to what we're going to be calling here the closing comments on the book of Malachi. I want to say today, today is going to be more of a devotional as opposed to a normal sermon or message. It's going to be much shorter in length. Again, more of a devotional through these verses. So it shouldn't take more than about 55 minutes or so, all right? Just joking, ha, 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 all right? No, it should be a brief time in God's Word, but we pray an important time in God's Word. Now think about it. Closing comments from the book of Malachi. Closing comments are important. Why? Closing comments summarize. They draw together truth that has gone before them. I think of the students that are here right now and many of our high school students. You have just completed papers. And uh, at the end of these papers, you are trying with impact to create one final argument to kind of summarize the thesis, the propositional statement of your paper so it closes with power. And I think of the university students who did this a couple months ago too. And hey, students, are you excited for summer right now? Are you excited for summer? No, eh? <laughs> Parents, I wonder if you're excited for summer in the same way. Anyways, closing comments are a way to... I always find the 9 o'clock's a little more reserved. I really do. I really do. Like Saturday night, they're fired up, man. 11 o'clock, they're... They're all, I mean, nine o'clock, just a little more, just a little more state, I guess, huh? Just, just safe. That's okay, it's okay. It's all good, it's all good. Different personalities, different things. Closing comments are a wonderful way to seal the deal. And what they do is they provide the listeners and the readers with a few powerful thoughts. So that's what God's word does for us today in the final three verses, again, of the book of Malachi. So without further delay, here is God's word with the moments we have. Malachi 4, verse 4 says... Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb, another word for Mount Sinai, for all Israel. Verse 5, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Notice, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So again, wasting no time, here's closing comment number one. On the screen for you, point number one is this, the importance of the word remember. The importance of the word. So the book of Malachi, this wonderful, small, powerful book, God has his message, and one of the last thoughts he leaves with his people is this, hey, hey, people, the importance of the word is so vital, remember it always. Now, important insight here. As we close off the book of Malachi, remember, after this book, there will be 400 years of prophetic silence among God's people. There would not be the prophetic word of God spoken afresh again until the arrival of really John the Baptist and then the birth of Jesus Christ. So there will be 400 years of silence from the prophetic voice or word of God. So because God's voice would not be heard during this 400 years, how important then does God's law or God's word become to God's people? It becomes everything. Why? Because God's people don't stand a chance apart from God's book. 
God's people don't stand a chance apart from his law, apart from his word. Why, why? God says, remember the law because the law serves as the base protection for God's people. Remember this, the ways of God are always right because God is perfect. So whenever God says something, it is the right way. He is never wrong. So whenever we find ourselves obedient or remembering the word of God, we are placing ourselves in the will of God. We are placing ourselves in the path and blessing of God, regardless of how the world or even our own fleshly desires view the word. God's word can't be wrong. So remember the law is so critical if God's people are going to make it from the time of Malachi through to the time of when Christ comes and of course for us right now. Psalm 119, one of the greatest expressions of the value of God's word in the Bible. One of the verses in verse 67, listen to what the psalmist said. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Notice that. When I'm comfortable, when things are going according to what I want, I I go astray. But God disciplines. God chastens all through the book of Malachi that's happening. And then the psalmist says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, but now I keep your word. The word of God puts us in the path of God. The law of God protects us from the pain or at least from the unnecessary grieving of the Holy Spirit within our lives. So notice it says in verse 4, the law or the word of God was given to Moses personally, Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments, the law of God representing the Torah, representing for us now in the new covenant, the word of God given to Moses personally. The law or the word of God is given to us personally as well for our benefit, for our blessing. Don't ever look at God's word as something trying to remove joy or fun from your life. That is a lie from Satan and from hell itself. 1 John 5.3 says, This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, listen, listen, and his commandments are not burdensome. The commandments or the law of God are not burdensome. Again, always remember God's law for our protection and our blessing. So again, look at verse 4 now. Look at verse 4. The command is remember the law. Notice it doesn't say obey the law or keep the law because the word remember here in the Hebrew is specific and distinct. When the command in Malachi is remember the law, that word remember in the Hebrew brings a qualitative aspect to this command. Say, what do you mean by that? It's how the people perform the commands that are given to them. It's the quality of the response to the word of God in their lives. Some of you still don't quite get it. Well, for example... In the context of Malachi, the people could see, remember the law, or keep the law, and they could argue, well, we are obeying the law. We are giving our sacrifice. Technically, we're doing that. But then God would say, well, time out. In Malachi 1 and 2, he says, but your sacrifices are polluted. You're giving leftovers. So yes, technically, you are giving yourself in some form, but the quality of that remembering is pretty poor. 
The people in Malachi's day, they could see this. But God, God, we're giving our financial offerings. Technically, they are giving portions of what is owed to God. But God would say, oh, wait, time out, time out. But you're not bringing the full tithe. In fact, you are robbing me of what is rightfully mine. So you might technically be obeying on some sense, but you are not remembering the word. The quality of your offering isn't quite there. Take right now, for instance, you could come into the celebration service and you could sit down, stand up here, and you could technically worship God. You're like, I'm here. I'm present. But you might be yawning through the whole time. You might be checking your smartphone the whole time. You may not be listening right now at all. Is that really worship? Well, technically, you're in the room of worshipers and in worship, but your heart's not there. You're not remembering as in the quality of worship before the Lord. But the other person who comes in broken, engaged, desiring, singing from their heart, confessing of sin, attentiveness in their mind, desiring to hear from the Lord, that's a whole different quality of worship than the first person. This is what it means to remember. Don't just give me your lip service, God says. I want your heart. Remember the law. Remember the word God is saying. So again, the quality of our offering. Now, one of the massive ways we have tried to unfold the quality of remembering God's word in our hearts is what we have called, and we've seen today already, to remember the 5G life. Now let me just put our bullseye up on the screen for you again as we started this ministry year with. The goal from God's word, this is all God's word, right? This isn't like, hey, here's a good plan that we came up with. Let's try to see if we can do it. No, no, no. The goal from God's word is I am to be a Christ follower. Jesus says, follow me. What is the theology of following Christ? I must abide. I cannot truly follow Christ if I don't abide, John 15. I cannot truly follow Christ if I'm not connected to his church. There is no such thing as a solo Christian in the Bible, Romans 12. He is the head, I'm part of the body. I cannot truly follow Christ unless I share what he has entrusted to me to disciple others and the great commission, of course, of the gospel itself, Matthew 28. The God says, if you remember my word, you will follow me, abide, connect, share, and then the five G's are the application of the fact that I'm remembering the law, remembering the word. God time, gather time, group time, give time, and go time. This is the biblical reality that we are actually remembering the law or the word of God. This is why one of the goals this year was this. We want to make it as hard as possible for you to sit here and do nothing. Because that's not the will of God, and that's not remembering the word. That is, in partial ways, doing something you might believe is morally right, but there hasn't been the full change within your life. That's why the video is just such a blessing, because people, God is changing, growing, and transforming as they are testifying that they are remembering the word, as expressed here in Malachi 4, verse 4. Here's a good question for your life right now. Does your life in Christ look different than it did 10 months ago? If we remember the word or the law, it should look different. The importance of the word remember, closing comment number one. Closing comment number two is this. The sending of the prophet, look. The sending of the prophet, look. So look at verse five now, verse five. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now notice the word behold there. That can also be translated look. Look, behold, I will send 
you. Now, I love how God's word does this. You say, does what? Does this. Notice in verse 4, there's the command to remember. Reflect on the past of what God has said, what God has done. My, my commands, my conduct, my faithfulness, God says. But then we don't just look at the past. We take the truth of the past, and now we look forward to the future. The future of God's promises. We sung that today. I'm bound for glory. That whole song is because of what God has said in the past, as John Garris set up so beautifully as well. Now we look to the future that we are bound for glory and this is our hope. So notice the Bible again here in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and all throughout the New as well. There's this exhortation and tension. Remember the past, I live with power now, but live for what's to come, the hope and the glory of our resurrection in Jesus Christ. Both are right. Live now in the past and power of the Lord Jesus Christ, but look forward to the hope and future of what he will do. Now notice what we are to look towards in verse 5. Behold or look, um, that phrase brings immediacy. There's an urgency. Look, look, behold. He says, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, what does it mean that he will send Elijah? Well, in a figurative sense, this was fulfilled in John the Baptist. In a figurative sense. Uh, Luke 1 says that John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elsewhere in the gospel, Jesus relates certain situations to Elijah and John the Baptist. However, in Malachi 4 verse 5, this prophecy will only be completely fulfilled in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the text says, in that great and awesome day, the day of the Lord when Jesus Christ returns to gather his church and to deal with all who have rejected him or oppose him. Now many commentators see this reference to Elijah fulfilled in Revelation chapter 11. And Revelation chapter 11 speaks of the two witnesses. There's much speculation here that Moses will be the other witness that is described in Revelation 11. It's interesting here, isn't it? In verse 4, Moses is mentioned. And then in verse 5, Elijah is mentioned. Those two often go together. Did you know both Moses and Elijah met with God on Mount Sinai? Of course, at different times, but they both did. Who appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. It's interesting also the two witnesses in Revelation 11, which is an amazing passage of Scripture. These two witnesses, this is going to happen in the future, we believe wholeheartedly, okay? They show up and they prophesy on earth for three and a half years. If anyone seeks to harm them, the Bible says, you can read it for yourself, the Bible says fire will come from their mouth and they will devour those. And whenever they want, they can just summon fire to devour those who oppose them. It says that between these two, they have the power to shut up the sky of rain or to bring rain again. Who does that remind you of? Elijah, if you know your Bible. And then it says between these two, they have the power to turn water into blood and to send plagues upon the earth. Who does that remind you of? Moses, right? So we can't say categorically who the two witnesses are, but most scholars and commentators agree it is likely the two witnesses are going to be Moses and Elijah. So they prophesy for three and a half years. When they're done prophesying for that time, the Bible says the beast rises up and kills them. They are murdered in front of all who are watching. The two witnesses are hated so much by the sinful 
and detestable world, they actually leave their bodies lying in the streets for all to see for another three and a half days. Now, in any culture virtually across this world over all of history, that is the worst curse you could ever place upon someone to leave their dead bodies in light of all. And in fact, the people of the world are so excited that the witnesses are dead, they actually exchange presents one another like we would at Christmas. Bible says all this, I'm just telling you, that after three and a half days and the world thinks they're rid of these two witnesses, then it says that God will raise them from the dead. And it says in Revelation 11 that a voice from heaven says this, come up here. That is awesome. As the Bible says, a voice from heaven says, come up here. And they rise and they ascend to heaven to be with God and the Lord Jesus Christ once again, just before Jesus Christ returns to judge the earth once and for all. Wow, eh? And so all of that, all of that, again, I'm just trying to imagine Moses and Elijah on earth and the boldness they would exhibit. Can you imagine how bold they would be? They could care less about what people say in the world and all the political correctness and blah, 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 blah. Can you imagine as they arrive on earth with one mission to please their Lord and to prophesy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? So this is what's happening as we look at Malachi 4 verse 5, what do we make of all this then? What do we make? I think we make this. As we say, behold, I will send Elijah the prophet. Look here, look here, look here, look here, ready? I think we make of this this. Wake up. Do not fall asleep. Do not become spiritually apathetic. Wake up, man. Things are moving quickly. This world is not going to last forever. The prophet is coming, Elijah, and just after he comes, Jesus Christ returns as well. Don't get spiritually lazy. Don't live for the world. Consider what Jesus says in light of this in Luke chapter 21. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus says, but watch yourselves. Watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. Isn't it interesting that these two words are used to describe the wasting of your life? The futility of idolatry and things like drunkenness and drugs. This dissipation probably means hungover. The amount of people that are hungover with substances or the world itself and wasting hours and days and weeks and months and years of their lives and then Jesus Christ returns and all they have to show for it is a wasted life of pure worldliness and idolatry. And the cares of this life, Jesus doesn't leave that out. And that day, the day of the Lord, Malachi, big theme in here, and big theme in Jesus, and the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. See, that, that's what's going to happen. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Don't fall. You're here right now. You're sleeping. Wake up. Spiritually speaking, man, you're, you just don't miss how clearly Jesus is saying this. Look at verse 36 of this same text. But stay awake, Jesus says at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man again on the day that he returns. Behold, look, the prophet is coming. Jesus would wholeheartedly agree what Malachi says then our theme for this whole thing is return to me. God says return to me and I will return to you. Literally, Jesus Christ is going to return to us. This is, this is why we live. The importance of the word remember, the sending of the prophet look, closing comment number three, the turning of hearts, reconciliation. The turning of hearts, reconciliation. Look at verse six now. And he, Elijah, will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children 
to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Okay, at the heart of verse 6, and this is, this is so wonderful and beautiful, at the heart of verse 6 is the message and heart of reconciliation. The word turn there is the Old Testament word for repentance. The word heart there is the most important word in the Hebrew to describe the inner being. It's the essence of who we are. Notice, notice. In the ministry of Elijah, hearts, the very most important part of our lives, will turn in repentance towards reconciliation. This is the heart of God for the heart of his people. Repent, repenting broken hearts, turning in love and reconciliation in both horizontal relationships and ultimately vertical relationships as well. The first application of verse 6 is the turning of hearts to be found within families. Reconciliation between parents and children and children and parents. It's fascinating to me of all the things that could be mentioned in Malachi 4 verse 6, this is mentioned. The heart of God of seeing families united and strengthened in the gospel of Jesus Christ in the renewal of the covenant that God has made with his people, it would spread down to the basic family unit. Why does God care so much? The destruction of the family in our day is leading and has led to the destruction of society. Why? Because God's design for marriage, a man and a woman, his design, his institution, the design of the family, an environment of love, the health of the community, the health of the nation, the health of the world ultimately in God's glorious design centers around the family and the extension of that family to love one another in the fear of the Lord. And notice how much God cares about this. God knows the devastation of sin that occurs within families resulting in unforgiveness and bitterness and destruction of relationships on an ongoing basis. Some of you are here right now and you are personally experiencing the devastation of sin in the setting of a family and the devastation of unforgiveness and bitterness that seemingly is passed from one generation to another. God cares so much about this. And one of the huge parts of what he is going to do when it comes down to the end, he's going to send the ministry of Elijah to see the reconciliation ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ where these things will not be anymore. They will be restored and healed. Forgiveness will be there. And I heard this week um, a story from uh, Philip Yancey. He's a really great author. And he recalled um, a situation with one of his friends who was going through a very, very tough marriage patch. And he said this, he says, one night his friend George was past the breaking point emotionally within his marriage and his friend George exploded with a pound on the table and the floor towards his wife. He says, I hate you. I won't take it anymore. I've had enough. I won't go on. I won't let it happen. And he says, no, no, no. Several months later, his friend woke up in the middle of the night and heard strange sounds coming from the room where his two-year-old son slept. He went down the hall outside his son's door and shivers went through his flesh. In a soft voice, the two-year-old son was repeating word for word with the precise inflection, the climactic argument between his mother and father. The two-year-old son called out, I hate you. I won't take it anymore. No, no, no. And at that moment, his friend George realized that in some awful way, he had just passed on his pain and anger and unforgiveness to the next generation. The Lord cares about this. 
and he will send a ministry, and maybe even right now, even as you hear that, do not let this life go by where you are living in the pain and destruction and the animosity and the conflict of relationships that in the will of God do not hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. You get to the end of this life and you cannot let it go. It will kill and sap any fervency and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's be assured, at the end when Jesus Christ comes, man, that will be dealt with. And Jesus Christ will turn parents to children and children to parents and we will see sin gone forever and all the beautiful desire and glory of God that he has designed for these relationships, they will be seen. Amen, church? They will be seen. But let's let the gospel then impact the gospel in our lives right now. However, the primary application of verse six, the turning of hearts, is from the people of God to the Lord himself. That is the most powerful application. This is the hearts of God's people in covenant renewal. Remember all throughout Malachi, the accusations of faithlessness, right? Well, this is a prophecy of faithfulness to God being restored. Notice the heart of God here. All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, and he's prophesying that this will be established. I love this so much. His people will be right with him. I will turn the hearts of my people to myself, he's saying in verse 6. This will be established. Hearts of love and faith, this is what will be. But notice, if this isn't the case, the end of verse 6 says, then utter destruction will be seen. I have to say that because it's right there. Do you know that the Jews, when they were completing this part of Malachi, this troubled them so much, it ended with a curse. They tried to flip verse 6, verse 5. They wanted to end with a blessing. They, they were so troubled, it ended with a curse, and they changed some of their versions or translations. But again, hear the heart of what's happening here. The beautiful, amazing book of Malachi ends with the heart of God for the heart of his people, a turning to him, a returning to him. And at the end of the day, ready, see this. I love biblical theology. It's before us right now. At the end of the day, God's plan of salvation is for the reconciliation and restoration of his people to him. From the moment sin first enters into the Garden of Eden, God unfolds his plan. We see this plan articulated in Malachi. And if you take it right through to the book, at the end of Revelation, Jesus Christ returns and gathers his bride to himself where the full restoration and reconciliation is fully seen and known forever and ever with Jesus Christ. No more sin, no more pain, no more death, no more hurt, no more division. It is all made new to the praise and glory of God. Amen. Reconciliation at the heart of God. Reconciliation at the heart of God. Now listen, listen. What better way then to end this ministry year than with testimonies of that? Testimonies of those who have been reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ, who were lost but now are found, who were dead but now are who alive, who were enemies of God but now who are friends of God because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose hearts have turned and they are now in intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. That is the beauty and the power and the glory that is seen through baptism. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this year. Thank you for the opportunity now to see testimony 17 this weekend in baptism declaring I have been reconciled to God through the blood, the life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no greater truth. There is no greater joy. There is no greater blessing. This is what you do and what you do alone. 
God, may we cheer, may we celebrate, may we rejoice now in what we hear, for you are worthy and this is awesome. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.